Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And today we have on Paris Athena from Black Tech Pipeline. How are you doing, Paris? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on. And the reason we're having you on here is we saw a a cry for help from your husband saying that, please, someone book Paris to do some meetings because she's driving me insane. She's vacuuming my head, you know? Yeah. Is this true? Is there harassment? Listen, I love bothering him. Like, he calls me, he calls me his biggest hater, which I am, but I love trolling him. I've been trolling him since day one. Right. Well, I think that's that's good and that's healthy. Yeah. I think you're having some fun. I mean, I, I I'm just saying, you know, he made some allegations about uh, harassment, that kind of thing, and we, we're kind of taking one for the team and distracting you, right? <laughs> that's what's going on here, right? Yeah, he should be grateful though. I'm pretty cool. I'm a fun wife. <laughs> so we're having you on today because we wanted to talk to you about using social media to accelerate your tech career, and we understand you have some background in that. So if you were out at El Yunque and you were searching for the El you're trying to find the source of all that noise and someone else who was helping you hunt for these little elk cookies turned to you and said hey how can I use social media to accelerate my tech career? What would you say? I would say to engage and be active and be consistent. So for me, so when I got on to Twitter, I got on to talk about my journey finding a new role in tech because I had just been laid off from my first job as a software engineer. And so I got on to sort of talk about the good and the bad and why I, I had lost my previous job, my experiences there. I was kind of just tweeting, honestly, because I just really had the time to do it so I, since I didn't have a job. And something other than harassing your husband, he was probably yeah. really happy that you were tweeting. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was always kind of just tweeting. I was engaging with people. So I'd, I'd follow people who I really liked. I would comment on their tweets and, and start conversation there. I would retweet things and comment or, or what is it? Quote, retweet. Retreat with quote. There yep. we go. Yeah, I would do that. And so I, it was really just me being active. I was being authentic too. I was just sort of being myself. I wasn't always talking about tech. Um, I think that's what matters though, isn't it? Because people yeah. are so savvy on social media that when they see brands that are just obviously, they're doing whatever formulaic nonsense they're trying to do to get quote unquote engagement, like people can read that and they can tell when someone's being authentic, I think. Yeah, they really, they really can. Honestly, so when I had gone on, on Twitter, I was like, I'm not sure how to really use this platform. I'm, I'm new to it. And so I tried the whole only talk about tech and only be encouraging and only be positive. And I tried that for, I don't know, maybe a week or two. To, and I was like, this is off. Like, I just, I sound so fake. Like, I, I know I do. And I was like, I want to just start being myself. And, and that means sometimes I will be negative. Sometimes I will be a little judgmental. And I, I want to talk about the lows and, and the highs, you know? So I think just being yourself and being genuine, people love that. Right. Because I think it helps with a connection too. Because no one, you know, people see stuff on Instagram or whatever. And people know, like, nobody lives that life. You know what I mean? Right. So being able, to empathize or resonate with someone in terms of the highs and the lows. You know, it's just, I don't know. I think it just feels a whole lot more genuine. No, it does. And, and again, like people love that, at least at least for me in, in my journey, people appreciate that. You know, I will talk about literally anything. Sometimes I talk about like the squirrel outside my house for no reason, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and then sometimes I'll, I swear a lot on Twitter. I don't know. I, I like to talk about different things, but obviously like I cater to the tech community overall. It's just, it's mm-hmm. not all I'll talk about. 
Well, and that makes sense because there are so many sources of just dry news, if that's what you want, for you know what's going on in, in the tech world. But what really makes it interesting to interact with somebody is their own unique take on it or their own unique vignette of what is going on in their life. But let's rewind a little bit. And how did we end up here, Paris? I mean, actually, you know what? I got to tell you that your name gave me flashbacks, gave me massive flashbacks. Your name, Paris Athena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I studied Latin in high school and we had to read so many of these old mythology texts. And at first I thought you're like, I had conflated your name with Pallas Athena because that was the name of the goddess. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her actual name was Athena and Pallas meant brandishing a sword because she was the goddess of war and wisdom and one other thing that I forgot. And then I realized that the name Paris was associated with Athena because of the what was the myth of the judgment of Paris. Have you ever heard about that? Oh my gosh, no. Oh my gosh. All right. We're, we're, going, we're going deep and we've just lost half the people that are listening, but that's all right. We're, we're going to go there. So there was a, apparently, and I'm going to get some of the details wrong, but I'll link, uh, I'll find a link in the description. But basically there was a wedding that was going on in Mount Olympus or wherever the, the, the Greek gods were or whatever. And Discord, the goddess of Discord was not invited. And she was mad, right? So she took an apple, a golden apple, and she threw it into the wedding and it said, for the fairest. This, of course, created a huge problem. Athena, Hera, and Aphrodite, these three goddesses were just, they're arguing over who the apple was intended for. Mm-hmm. And Zeus was up there and he's just like, whoa, like, I'm not getting in the middle of this. Like one of them is my wife and there's a daughter. Like I'm just not, I'm not dealing with this. And there was a, a mortal named Paris who he nominated as the person to judge who was the fairest. Okay. So this, uh, and he was, he was a guy. So this guy, Paris, he was just like, okay, well, let's take a look at you. And you know, this is apologies in advance. So this is the myth. This is not me saying it. What he did was first to judge who was the fairest. He had them all take their clothes off. (laughs) Oh my God. I swear to God. Look, don't get mad at me. This is the myth. Okay. And he still couldn't decide. After that. So then they were essentially the goddesses were all bribing him. They're like, you know, I'll give you this. I'll give you that. And Aphrodite told Paris that she would give him the the most beautiful woman in the world, which was Helen of Troy. So this whole judgment of Paris thing is what kicked off the Trojan War. Wow. I didn't know my name had that much significance. (laughs) That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I got these crazy flashbacks. Of, of all of the the myths and the the Latin, like the Athena's name, a Roman name was Minerva, whatever. Anyway, apologies for the the tangent. I'll put the links in for any nerds like me who like to to read about the descriptions. Oh, I'm <laughs> interested. I mean, yeah, Paris yeah. back then kind of sounds like a sexist, but I did not know. He's my problematic. Name. It sounds. He, yeah. He's definitely problematic. <laughs> Although I'll tell you what, for the time, he was probably progressive. You know what I'm saying? Oh my god, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like everything is everything is relative, you know, whatever. But yeah, that was why I was getting flashbacks on your name. And I was excited to delve into it with you. Oh, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my real name is Paris. My last name is not really Athena, though. I, I tacked that on years ago, like way before mm-hmm. Twitter. I just always liked the name Athena mm-hmm. and the goddess Athena. And so yeah. I was like, I'm just going to call myself Paris Athena. And, and that's what I stuck with. <laughs> I like it. I mean, it works. It works incredibly well, especially the relation between the goddess Athena and Paris. Yeah, know? and I had no idea till now. So yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no worries. Well, anyway, let's get back to what we're supposed to be talking about, this this crazy social media thing. And how did you end up here in the tech business? Give me a little rundown of how did the goddess Athena end up where you are today? Yeah, so I actually did not intend on being here. I wanted to be this famous writer and director of big motion pictures. I wanted to be an actress. And I really wow. tried. I, I moved from Boston to New York. I moved from New York to LA. And I really tried breaking into Hollywood. but clearly it didn't work out. So well, listen, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. Patrick had a lifelong ambition to be a Calvin Klein underwear model. His hopes were, his hopes were dashed. It just never worked out. It never worked out, but so so don't feel bad. Yeah. We share that pain. I did have a short lived dream of moving to New York and go to NYU and doing the same thing. I just never took any steps. So respect to you for actually going out and doing the work to try to do that though. That's pretty cool. Thanks. Yeah. I, I tried. It was really difficult. When I got to, I think when I got to LA, that's when the realization kicked in that it's all about who you know, first of all. And then secondly, everyone in LA is trying to break into that industry. And everyone is more beautiful than the next person, more captivating, more talented Mm -hmm. than the next person. And I mean, that's when I realized there's just so much competition. And I didn't know anyone either. I didn't know anyone in the industry. I was new to it. So it was just really hard. So I ended up moving back to Boston and I enrolled into school to become a makeup artist. Mm -hmm. And while I was in school, I, I realized I hate doing makeup. I don't like putting makeup on people. I'm not interested in it at all. Um, That's a sign that maybe uh, maybe that's not the career for you. Exactly. Yeah. But so when you go to school to learn makeup, it's really you're going to school to learn aesthetics. So I'm working mm. with skin. But and so I learned how to wax while I was in school. And so after I graduated, I decided to become a wax specialist. So literally like waxing body hair off of people. And I loved it. Honestly, I was really, really good at it. And I had a really great clientele. So oh, Paris, I got to I got to launch into a, a quickie here. So I used to, you know, some girls I uh, would date would complain about, you know, getting their legs waxed and it was painful and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, you know, it can't be that bad. You know what you're talking about. And then there was one time that I was really into weightlifting and I was in really good shape and everything. And I went in to get my chest waxed. Oh my God. Uh, oh type, uh, yeah. my God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know what that's like. I've done it. I don't know how it feels, but I know it's painful, especially if you have a lot of hair and it's long. Like that's really painful. It's like a thousand wasps are dancing up and down on your chest and they're dancing on their stingers, man. I mean, it was just like, I, I think I started crying. I really think I did. I think it was horrible. Yeah. And then when you were done, your chest was like fire red, <sighs> right? No, no. The, the worst part was they, they like did part of it. And it hurts so bad, but I'm just like, oh, you have to finish though. It's going to look stupid if you don't finish. And I'm just like, oh man. Yeah. Good for you for trying though. (laughs) But no, I I know that's painful because I always looked at men's faces when I would wax literally kind of anything on their body. I just watched Mm. their face to see if they could really take it. And no one really could. I know it was painful. So yeah, so I was doing waxing full time, 14 hours a day. I was waxing and great clientele. And I did love my job and I was making decent money, but I knew like I I could never really progress from there. I wasn't going to make the money I wanted for the lifestyle I wanted to live. So Because there's probably no senior waxologist or whatever, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, Like I think the most you could grow is becoming a trainer. So you would train incoming wax specialists. But even then, there's not much of a pay rate. Yeah, I'm sure. Owning your own business or opening multiple, you know, a chain or a small regional chain. Yeah. You're you're one person. It's how far can your time go and how many other people out there are looking to do the same work and. 
Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think there's a ceiling. You have to own your own business because, and it's market driven, right? Because people are only going to pay so much. Like how much better could you possibly be that you would be worth double an hour to get a wax done where I could just go down the street and get it done for half, you right. know? Exactly. That may, I mean, that makes complete sense that there would be a ceiling to that. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing, I think even if you own a chain, I mean, I don't know how true this is, but I, I'm thinking about how with waxing, you if you think about machines replacing jobs, there's laser mm-hmm. hair removal, right? And mm. Laser hair removal is permanent. So you wouldn't have to get waxed anymore. Um, And even if you are getting laser hair removal, you can't get waxed regardless because that's just the way it works. You just can't wax and do laser at the same time. So I don't know if one day there will never be waxing again. I kind of doubt it. But at the same time, you're kind of in an industry that may be in jeopardy. So I don't think it's great to stay in it for the long haul. You're Um, also in jeopardy of just societal trends. Like what if it becomes a thing? Like it's very arbitrary that we've decided we don't like body hair. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll... (laughs) Maybe it'll make a comeback and everyone from Romania will be super excited, you know? Right. Yeah. Honestly, I would be too because waxing is a little painful. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so from there, I I enrolled in school to get my degree in marketing. And when I was finishing my associate's degree, I found out that coding even existed, which I was not aware of till then. So now, where I, did where did you get your where did you go to school? Southern New Hampshire University. Mm-hmm. Oh, damn. Damn. Yeah, OK, I, I thought go. you went to Pace University. Oh, no, I did go to Pace University, but I finished I didn't finish my degree there. That's fine. No, the reason I wanted to. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I got the, the school wrong. My mother was the dean of the School of Nursing at Pace University for a while. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. yeah. So when so I saw cool. that on your kind of interview that I I read just to do a little prep. I was like, whoa, that's cool. My mother used to teach there. No, know? yeah, I did. I did a year there and then I moved to LA. So I never nice. got to finish there. Oh, okay. So that was before. I got it. I yeah. got it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I, I did um, SNHU online and, but they had like a little Boston campus thing. So while I was there, that's when I learned that coding existed. And I knew that because my little brother, he was learning to code at school. And so when I had went, I went to his school and I talked to his principal and I was asking why kids were learning to code. I, I just felt like it was something kids wouldn't need to do right now. It just mm. seemed super, I don't know, college So when I asked, you know, he was like, that's when he explained, you know, we're in a digital era, everything is machine driven and you don't gain some sort of technological background, you'll be left behind. And that is when I th- thought about, I was being replaced by a machine technically as a waxer because of laser hair removal. So yeah. that's when I was like, okay, I need to get into this somehow. And so I went back to my school. I let them know I want to code. And they told me about a program called Resilient Coders, which is a nonprofit organization that teaches people of color and pays them to learn to code. And then from there, you sort of progress through their network of getting internships or jobs and things like that. So that's when I went to Resilient Coders. I learned front-end web development. Um, Hold on, hold on. I want to slow down for a second. So you were someone that didn't have a real background in tech. And then you went in for this coding at Resilient Coders. What was it like when you were first looking at it? Was it, did it immediately grab you or were you like, these people are crazy or, you know, what was that kind of feeling like in the beginning or, or did you just feel lost, which would be normal too? Yeah, I thought, I, I, I thought it was really cool. I, and I, so I didn't have a choice. So when I, <laughs> when I got into the boot camp, I didn't know there was back end development or, you know, I didn't mm. know anything really right. about coding at all. I just knew I was learning front end web development. And I was like, okay, that might be cool, whatever. I don't know. And so they started explaining what HTML is and CSS is. And then you learned how to do it with examples that they had. And I was like, oh my God, like I just made this thing front that I yeah. saw in my head come true on the screen. Like I just spoke with a computer. Like I, I just thought that was really cool. Well, that's um, the fun part is the creation part. Right. right? And I, 
I remember when I was first learning too. Like I was, I was a kid when I was learning it, but I remember it felt so empowering to be able to create something. Like I thought that was just wild. No, yeah, no, it, it really is. I was like, I could just think of something in my head and bring it to life through these keys on the computer, these little symbols and numbers and things. So I, I don't know. That's when I thought I was like, okay, this is almost like a superpower. So mm. I ran with it, did the completed the program. And from there, I got an internship at an ad agency in Boston. And then from there, I got my first job. And then that first job is where I got laid off near nearly after a year. And that's when I got onto Twitter. So yeah. So you ended up on Twitter, and you were just kind of looking for something to do when you're not harassing the husband and, you know, just started doing some stuff conversationally. And then what happened? Because you're telling me about you had 500 followers, and I'm looking at it now, and that ain't no 500. Like what what happened? Yeah, honestly, I So when I got onto Twitter, I noticed that there was a really small community of black technologists. And when my internship, before I got on Twitter, when I was in my internship, when I had my first job, I wasn't the only black developer. I was the only black person in the entire company. And Mm. so I just didn't think there were a lot of people who look like me in the industry. How big was this company? The first company was about, I don't know, like 50 people was really small. Um, yeah, but still, that's okay. Yeah, the agency <laughs> was, I mean, the agency was global. It was huge. Right. And so, I see, um, okay. Yeah, and so I, and I, of course, like, in the internship and uh, my first job, I had dealt with so many different experiences that weren't the best. Mm. But when I got onto Twitter and I saw there was a few black people that are software engineers, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And so I had put out a tweet asking, what does black Twitter and tech look like? And I didn't expect anything to come from that because again, I no one really followed me. I didn't have that much traction at all. So, And there was an infamous hashtag associated with this, right? And the ha- that's how the hashtag came to life, Black Tech Twitter. Mm. I, I put out the tweet and I didn't expect anything from it. And then my phone did not stop blowing up. It just, wow. it, it was crazy. Literally overnight, Black technologists from all over the world, they posted themselves into that tweet and it created a super long thread of their pictures and captioning what they do in the industry. And honestly, overnight, it created the community and movement Black Tech Twitter. That's amazing. That's amazing that, and, and this is sort of a kind of a chaos theory thing, you know, where the idea is uh, from chaos theory is that the wings of the butterfly in Ecuador could cause a tornado in Kansas. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a very small thing can cause something huge to, to come out of it. So that's, that's pretty incredible. And you probably, your phone, <laughs> you're probably getting so many notifications. You probably had to plug your phone in or the battery would be dead, right? It was wild. Like it was getting <laughs> to a point where I was refreshing my phone, I don't know, every few seconds. And I I had hundreds and hundreds of notifications every time, every single time. I couldn't even keep up. I was like, this is wild. I don't even know what happened. Wow. I mean, did you ever want, would you ever get so bad you wanted to just like turn the phone off? Yes. So what I did, and I think this also, during this time that this was happening, I was retweeting everyone who was posting themselves in the thread. Mm -hmm. And then I had a few copycats trying to copy what I had just did. So they were oh, like, man. Also like, yeah, they, they took my tweet, they posted it, and then they were t- retweeting everything was everything that I was retweeting. Huh. Instantly, people were, were creating what I'm doing now with Black Tech Pipeline as a business. People instantly started trying to copy what I was doing when that tweet was going viral. So they were like, give me your resumes. We're going to create a new community. They were just kind of taking all the work I was doing and stealing it. So I was dealing with a lot just within like a night. It was wild. I mean, they say imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, right? You know? Yeah. I was just like, I don't know what I did. I don't even know what's happening. I'm just 
kind of going with it. So yeah. see that amazing. So that's an interesting thing that we've talked about a few times on this podcast in different contexts that I think is really interesting. So you went off to Hollywood and we're hoping to make it and you realize that there are an incredible number of equally talented, beautiful people that are also trying to make it right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was a famous actor, I forget his name, but he was on one of the talk shows and they basically ask him the question, you know, well, how do I, if someone wanted to be an actor, how do they do it? And the guy's just like, look, I'm the worst person to ask. Yeah. I have no idea. There are lots of people just as talented as me. I just got lucky. I can't tell you how this happened, you know? Right. And it's kind of the same in some ways with your tweet. All these other people are trying to replicate it, but it just wasn't right place, right time. Like you were in the perfect place. You were doing something genuine and it just, boom, it just went. That's exactly what it is. I I talk about this with my husband a lot. You know, I couldn't, I can't recreate what I did because it like wasn't intentional. I didn't know that that was going to happen. I can't tell someone this is how you gain a following. It it just happened for me. And when I tweeted that as well, people were posting within that thread like, hey, I I tweeted something like this like two years ago or I've tweeted something like this months ago and nothing happened. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. It's just, again, it's true. It was like right place, right time. You know, yeah, you're like, sorry, you know, but in, in the most so something that tilts me is people that they do something like this and it takes off and then they sit up there and pontificate about this is how you should do it. And, you know, you know what I mean, like they're they're they think they're a genius for, for right. what they did. But right. you totally get it. You're like, no, man, like I don't, this just happened. You know what I right. mean? I yeah. yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. Like if I were to lose everything on my like Twitter, yeah. if I tried to do this again, I don't. I don't think it would happen. Like, I don't, I don't think I could ever recreate this. And that's just what it is for me. If I'm giving advice on anything, it's probably how to utilize the platform, but I could not tell you how to do what I had accidentally did, you know? Right. And I I really respect that though, because you, you are not letting what happened go to your head. You know, I mean, obviously you had to have the, the background and the preparation and the being genuine to do it, but lots of other people had that too. Right. But it was just like, it's just, it just happened. You know, it was just like the perfect nexus. And that's, that's amazing. And I, I've run into that too. Things that I've done that ended up doing really well. And I'm just like, well, you know, that doesn't mean I'm a genius at doing this thing. It just means that that particular thing just happened to take off, you know? Exactly. Yeah. There's like not a real explanation for it, you know? What was that quote that you had, Patrick, about preparation? Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Is that it? Yeah, it's one of the Stoics. Uh, yeah, Sam Hernandez is going to be like, ah, you've quick, so quickly forgotten. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we can all look and feel Seneca. lucky. There we go. But yeah, I mean, there, there, luck is yeah, preparation and opportunity. Uh, it's not one without the other. So, and here's the important point, though. This is, I'm in no way saying, Paris, that you did nothing and this just happened to you. Because, again, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. So, you did all the preparation, right? And the opportunity just kind of happened to to come along. Right. I don't even, well, I guess I'm, the preparation piece, I don't even know what I prepared for. All I did was tweet something, you know? Well, I would say that it's it's you living your life and it's you getting into tech and it's you witnessing what's going on and and being self-aware and being aware of the industry and, you know, just tweeting it out. And, you know, like you said, lots of other people did the same thing before, but you know, I mean, you're, you're the one that took off, right? It's gotta be somebody. It's gotta be somebody. Plenty of people have ideas, but then to execute on, to do the logistics, to get something together, to get, and even if it's just, you know, getting the conversation, starting on Twitter, getting the, the mailing list up, getting, doing the work is such a big part of it rather than just saying, oh, what 
wouldn't it be great if, or kind of talking about it in a fleeting way, but not actually putting in the time. Yeah. Yeah. This actually reminds me of, I've done a good bit with probability and you can run things called variance simulators where you can simulate a, uh, the probability of an event, maybe poker or rolling dice or, or whatever. And there's always this one red line that is an outlier that just takes off, you know, and somebody is that red line in every sphere, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, that's exactly, that's really it. (laughs) Yeah. So now, now we know kind of how you ended up where you're at, but tell us what can we learn? Cause you, I realize that you're, you're very genuine about the fact that this taking off just kind of happened to happen, but you also, I think have learned a ton in terms of how you can then leverage that platform to advance your career. So I would, I would love to, to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. And then even this is going to sound like exactly what I just told you where it kind of just happened. So when that tweet took off, literally that same exact week, employers were DMing me on Twitter and they were like, hey, we saw that you just brought together this big community of black technologists and we didn't know so many of you existed in this industry. Can you recruit people from your uh, community into our pipelines? And so I, I don't, I didn't have recruiting experience. I wasn't a recruiter at all. And again, I was just a software engineer, but I, I just said yes to everybody, every single person. I was like, yeah, like how hard can recruiting be? I'll do it. And that's how like the business molded itself because it kind of fell into my lap again, you know, and, and that's what I'm doing now. So yeah. Well, it sounds like you're being smart though, because instead of filling their pipeline, you're building your own pipeline, right? You're trying to have ownership over the platform kind of. That's exactly what, so I created my own talent application and that application gets sent to a database. So now I have my own talent database and I source through there for different employers. Right. Yeah. Because, and it's something that, you know, it's an old saw that you can only sell an hour of your time once, but you can sell a product that you create hundreds or thousands of times, right? So if you retain ownership over your thing that you've created, it's much, much different than doing that work for an hourly wage for somebody else. Right. And yeah, so actually, so when I was, when I started doing that recruiting, I was doing it for free for a really, really long time. Mm. Um, and, and I think I, I was doing it for free because one, it just happened and I just felt like I had to rush to get everything done. And I didn't have experience doing it. And I was like, I'm not going to charge someone because maybe I'll do this wrong. Like, I don't know. But then it just became more frequent. And then it became really overwhelming. And then that's when I, I was like, you know what? Okay, like, it's time to start charging. And I created this whole recruitment package. And yeah, so now I, I get paid the big bucks to do it. That is amazing. I mean, that is that is quite a journey. So if I'm someone new in the tech business, first of all, what platforms would you recommend that I get on? It sounds like all we've really talked about is Twitter. Is that really the place to go for tech? Yep. Yep, it is Twitter because Twitter is global and the tech community on Twitter is immense. It's amazing. And you're getting exposure to the tech community in all parts of the world. It's not even just where you're from. So you're also getting exposure to all the different communities within tech. And when I say communities, not just like different languages and frameworks like the React community, the Ruby community, but you're also getting exposure to there's underrepresented communities. There are communities of foodies and tech, you know, people who have hobbies within the tech industry that you can you can join them. There's just so much opportunity on Twitter. It's wild. And I feel like a lot of people's lives have changed due to that platform. And so that's the one you want to be on. If, if any of them, it's definitely Twitter. Yeah, and also, no one wants to see selfies of your code, right, on Instagram? Like, it just doesn't make, doesn't make any sense, <laughs> uh, really? Yeah. I you mean, know? at least for me, no thanks. <laughs> Simon yeah. thinks to differ. He's still, still 
trying to Well, okay. So you can use Instagram or TikTok to promote yourself as a brand, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, you can. Uh, well, I think it depends on who you are. I don't think I could. <laughs> I, think you, I think you have to have some charisma, you know? I think, I think that's got to be a thing that you've got, you know what I mean? In order to use that medium. And I think a lot of work probably has to go into producing those things too. Yeah, I feel like at every other platform, some people disagree with me on this, but I feel like gaining a following on any other platform than Twitter is actually really difficult. I feel like Twitter mm. is actually the easiest because it's so public, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm biased. I don't know. Well, I think it's like anything else though. It's also, it doesn't really matter the size of your following. What really matters more is the quality of your following. Yeah. Because if you, if you have a ton of just random people and probably mixed in there are a bunch of bots that are following you, that doesn't really matter. You could have a much smaller following that is very, very focused in a particular area, and it'll be way more valuable for companies and businesses that are looking to reach that particular demographic, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I learned that the following doesn't matter. It's your engagement. Um, right. Because if you go to, there's Twitter accounts I'll go to that have like a million followers, and then when they tweet something, it gets nothing. There's like no traction there. Right. And then what's the point? Right. <laughs> yeah. Know? Other than maybe it makes your ego feel good for a day that you got a million followers, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah. You're not building actual sustainable relationships or anything like that. So, And you're basically just kind of standing on the edge of a cliff with a megaphone shouting out, you know, and there's nobody <laughs> yeah, around. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So Twitter is the, our platform. So here's the thing. A decent number of people that are programmers, they're drawn to it because they're somewhat introverted and they enjoy that they can kind of just lose their head in that space and it's them talking to the computer. How? What kind of advice would you give to people like that in terms of how to approach social media in a way that might work for them? Yeah, I feel like it's all about what you want as an individual. Are you looking to gain a network? Are you looking to use a platform where you can kind of just be wild? It's, it's really up to you. If you're looking to gain a network and gain opportunity, I would say talk about what is your brand? Who are you? What do you want to talk about? Where are you trying to gain opportunity? And you know, build content around that. And it's not all you have to talk about while you're on Twitter, because again, you want to be authentic and show people, yes, this is what you specialize in, but at the end of the day, you're still human. You have hobbies, you have other interests, I would hope, aside from strictly just coding, I'm not sure. But yeah, it it. Definitely depends. Some people use Twitter literally to just kind of troll. Regardless of what their career is and how successful or non-successful they are, they use it to just start trouble, you know? And right. that's really up to you. It, more power to you. If you know what you want and that's what you want to use your uh, platform for, you do that. But that's probably not going to help you get a job, for instance. That's a, no, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. That's why I'm saying it's, it's dependent upon what you want to get out of it. If you want right. a job, then you know you have to be more professional. You, and you can still be yourself, but just Remember, like there, there are certain people who are watching you who you want to engage with and build relationships with and gain opportunities from. So you need to approach it in that way. So what do you think the people that are trolls, what do you think they get out of it? Because they must get something out of just being a jerk, right? There, there must be some, yeah. gotta be some benefit to them. What do you think it might be? That they can just, can I swear on here? <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay, that they can just be assholes without taking accountability for it because they don't, usually they don't really show who they are. They just mm. have this bullshit account and then they can just say what they want about you. I mean, I've had uh, plenty of trolls. I've had people literally dedicate Twitter pages to me just talking shit about me. <laughs> and I have no idea who made it. I don't know if it's someone who I, I know, if it's someone who I frequently talk to, if it's just a stranger, I'll never know. I know? forgot you were getting knocked off Twitter for a while, like the, what, DMCA? Yeah. 
notices or yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like I mean, you're like you hope that it's some sort of a bot that's you know I don't know DMCA notices so often it's like if there's like copyrighted music or something but man I, I, for someone to try yeah you know, and again like you say it's people who they hide behind a, some picture some made up name like for putting your name for putting your picture up yeah I give very little stock to anyone who is on Twitter and harassing or even criticizing people and won't even put their name and face up there. Oh, right. I would I would love it though. Like just the fact that someone someone has so much time on their hands that what they're going to do is make a page dedicated to, to <laughs> trashing you or somebody else. Like I would look at that as a victory. You know what I mean? I was just like, does this mean I made it? If they're yeah. still like us. A- <laughs> they're trying to cancel you. Yeah. Cuz yeah. cuz in some ways that's really kind of hilarious, right? That someone is going to devote that much time. You know, I mean just right. No, I don't know, man. I, I've got kids. Like, I don't have time to make no page trashing anybody. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, even if I don't like you, I don't even have time to like not like e- you. Exactly. And and that's you know that old saw: the opposite of love isn't hate; it's indifference. Right. So I don't know, man. It's, that's that's bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's. I guess it kind of comes with the territory. If you yeah. get some amount of fame, whether it's a, in some way, like I've thought about the idea of being a movie star, and I think it would be amazing for a while. But then, man, after a certain amount of time, it's got to get old that you can't even go to the coffee shop to get a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? Like it's got to get old. No. Yeah. That's what. So not saying that I'm at that level at all. I just feel like I got sort of a sense for what it would be like if I were some sort of celebrity, just because just with my little following, and this is only strictly to Twitter, like no one, I mean, strictly to tech, like no one outside of that would even know the hell I am. But anything I say, it gets judged. And, you Mm. know, people are constantly trying to cancel you or they're in your DMs threatening you. There's, (laughs) and I'm just like, if if I were a a celebrity, I could could just imagine how horrible it is. Well, that's the, the funny thing though, is I see a lot of people that invest a whole lot of time in building a following, right? I'm not saying this is you because I know this just kind of like happened to you, but I see people that actively work at getting a following and then they get a following to the point where the stuff you're talking about is happening and they get so many notifications or DMs or whatever that they can't engage with their following at all anyway. Right. And then at that point, then they're, they'll are they put out a tweet or something. They'll be like, yeah, I'm going to take a break from Twitter because... <laughs> I can't handle it. And it's just weird. You've achieved what you wanted to achieve. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that there are parts of this that really suck. Yeah, no, it takes work because you have people who want your attention. And the bigger your following is, that's the more people who are going to be hitting you up or contacting you somehow. People will will somehow find your email and where you work and things like that, you know? So I think people don't take that into account when they're um, looking to gain this sort of platform. Now, I feel like the route that a lot of introverts take, people who are more into just the the pure programming part of it. And maybe they don't have the the social skills or whatever. And it's fine. Like everyone's different, right? I feel like a lot of those people will, they'll create like an open source project. And that's where they'll, they'll focus their time because maybe they're not so good at engaging with people on social media. And then, but it can happen by accident that they'll have this GitHub project will blow up and tons of people will use it. And then tons of people follow them on Twitter. And for some people who are very introverted, like this can be very disconcerting and this can be very overwhelming. You yeah. Know? 
No, definitely. And it's like, I think, and you don't really owe anyone an explanation as to if you're an introvert and you accidentally blow up and you don't owe anyone an explanation as to why you're not answering their DMs or you're not. But they think you do because they're just, yeah, yeah. But you you didn't answer me or you didn't make a statement about this or you didn't, they, they very much expect that. Yes, they do. People feel that they are entitled to your time and they're Mm. not, they're Mm. not. And you, it's up to you if you want to maybe put out a tweet or some sort of like notification or something saying I this was not my intention I'm not here to be this person for you I just had this fun project that happened to blow up and thank you to all my contributors but I I don't want to be this person putting out content constantly you don't you could say something like that or you don't have to you really don't and if people are going to be mad at you because of that then that's really on them it depends on how much you actually care you know right so yeah, I, I can just see how that could be, you know, for, for some people anyway, I can see how that would be a really a tough thing to deal with, you know? So you're right. Like what you said originally in terms of what you have to start with when you're ta- thinking about leveraging a social media platform is what do you want to get out of it? And how will you, if you do make it, will you be able to handle that? Will that be a, a thing you're okay with? And I don't know, maybe you don't know it until you get there. I think that's fair too, right? Yeah. And I think it's fine. I mean, yeah. if you found out that you actually don't want something that you were going after initially, that's mm-hmm. fine. You're allowed to change your mind. Right. You're, a, you're a human, you know? Well, do, I don't do know, man. Want. Some people on Twitter don't think you ever can change your mind about anything. They, oh, I know. I know. And, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes you have to be like, you know what? They'll get over it. Yeah. This is your life. You know, yes. as long as you're not over here intentionally being harmful, right? Like, do what the hell you want. That That is your platform. It is your time. It is your life. It is your energy, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, for sure. I agree. I, I, and I, I like what you said about these people are not entitled to your time. I think the, the only time that I would say that I I personally don't believe that's the case is if it's a business account. So if I've got my corporate business account and someone is tweeting something at me about that, I do feel like they're entitled to my time from a tech support point of view or whatever. But on my, my personal account, a hundred percent, man, like you're, you get my time if I feel like giving it to you, you know? Exactly. Like if you have a business account, like that's a business and you do have clients and customers and all that to tend to. And that's just part of being a business. But of course, like your personal time, that is yours. You know, you yeah. dictate that. Yeah. What do you think, Patrick? Oh, Patrick's gone. <laughs> oh my God. Patrick. Ladies and gentlemen, Patrick has left the building. What? I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna give this is wonderful, uh, Paris. I'm I'm gonna give him shit for forever for this one. Can you hear me? We hear we hear you, Patrick. My microphone was disconnected. No, 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 no. Quit faking it. He was gone, Paris. He went somewhere. (laughs) He went. Gone. He went to like In and Out Burger or something. (laughs) Just running across the room. No, no. (laughs) Yeah, wipe that special sauce from your face and get on the microphone. Come on. All that food discussion earlier just got to me, man. So what do you think about what she's saying on this? Like, have you ever sought to build a following or are you just kind of like, you know, I'm just doing what I'm doing and I don't need that stuff? You know, I mean, I think it goes back to that luck is preparation opportunity. I think there's probably been opportunity, but I haven't done the work. I've had the idea, mm. but I haven't put in the time. And I think some of it's a little bit of imposter syndrome of feeling like, who am I to go out there and try to put out, con- I don't want to use content, that sounds so like, you know, packaged, but, you know, try to put out ideas and get conversation going. And 
Who are so, you? Who is anybody though? Like, why? I don't understand. Like, exactly, who is- yeah, I, yeah, but I think we all go through that imposter syndrome or feeling like we're not up to the task or, who, you know, I'm not big enough or important enough to do that sort of thing. So again, Paris, I, I really respect what you've done. But uh, yeah, I thought about it, um, never put in the time, something I'd like to do, but yeah, I haven't really tried to make that push. You want to be like the next TikTok sensation or something? I can't dance, man. You, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't. <laughs> You can learn, you know that there is this thing called dance lessons and there you can learn how to do that. You I know did that? that for my wedding and that was enough. That was enough. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> did you do that for your wedding, Paris? Did you take dance lessons? Uh, I oh, I didn't get married yet, but oh, okay. I'm not, uh, oh, so I said I, it was your husband and he's not your husband? Well, he's my fiance, but he's my husband. Okay. He, he, we'll just, yeah. But no, we won't be. Uh, actually, you know what? We are thinking of doing tango for uh, Ooh, our dance. You're going to need lessons for that. So have you ever seen True Lies? Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. Do you know how they dance tango in that movie and the same exact song and all that? Like we're thinking of recreating that. Oh my God. That'd be amazing. Jamie Lee Curtis. That was great. Yeah. 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 So wait a minute. You're combining your wedding with your TikTok content? Me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you could totally just film that and that would be like the perfect TikTok, right? You guys like imitating the scene from the movie, you know? Yeah, we could. Let's see uh-huh. what happens. We've, we've well, already uh, gone viral once. Let's see if we can do it again. Paris, don't listen to social media advice from me. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> don't, don't, don't do it because I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I really don't. Me neither. But, but Patrick, man, I mean, I don't know. I understand that it's an internal thing and I can't say, you know, just don't think that way because you're going to think that way. But who is anybody? Like, I don't think you should be that concerned about putting content out there. I would say that literally who is anybody? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you're, everyone is nobody until you're somebody. And even when you're somebody, you're still nobody. Yeah. You know? You're still I mean, not, it's not like you're God or something like, like you, know, <laughs> you, you don't have all the answers. You're just a person with an opinion and your own personal experiences. And at the end of the day, that is it. Yeah, you know, yeah. do say what, well, I mean, like I said, as long as you're not being intentionally harmful, your, your voice is valuable to somebody, you know? Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, what is your what is your concern, Patrick? Is your concern that someone's going to look at this and think this is stupid? Is your concern that someone is going to be like, this guy's a jerk and they're going to pop? Like, what, what is no, your concern? Those, you know, just so afraid of failing that you never try to succeed. You know, mm-hmm. that you're afraid of it not working out and you're like, I'm going to put in the time and, and put out stuff. People are like, oh, look what he's trying to do. But um, and then, you know, it never works out. So you just, you know, you fail by not even trying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a, a long time ago. There was a guy I used to listen to on the radio named Bruce Williams who gave business advice. He was a serial entrepreneur kind of guy. And he's, one of the things he said really stuck with me is that the difference between people that succeed and people that fail in however you judge success, like I'm not just talking monetary, is the people that succeed fail more often than the people that don't. And the reason why people who succeed fail more is because they try more, you know, exactly. and they're not and they're not bothered when they fail. I don't know. I guess that's my my general insensitivity helps me there because I, I fail all the time, especially you got kids, man. You know what it's like to fail, right? Yep. 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 You just can't be afraid of failure because it's going to happen regardless because that is just life. Yeah, it is. And no matter how amazing you think you are in your career, when you come home and you're not going to make your kid what he wants to eat, they're going to think you're a failure, right? Exactly. <laughs> yep. doesn't matter what you're doing. Yeah. Well, so let's get back to, are there any tips or tricks that you think you might pass along to someone? Or do you think the way to start is just by doing it? So Adam Watham, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a guy that did uh, Tailwind CSS. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he just tweeted out about the other day was that the way to quote unquote grow a network 
is just to be helpful, just to get out there and start answering questions, discussing things with people and kind of echoing what you were saying, you know, be genuine about it. Does that sound like a a reasonable place to start? Yeah, I think like being helpful is great because then more people want to reach out to you and follow you and seek advice from you and things like that. But I think, again, being active and consistent and making sure you're like actually building relationships with people. And so when I say that, I mean, if you tweet something out and 100 people comment on your tweet or reply to your tweet, talk to them, talk back to Mm. them, like, you know, start that conversation. And that's, that's how you build relationships. That's how you build trust. So when people trust you, they they'll um I mean they'll rel- rely on you a little bit more, but they'll they'll want to see what you're saying and they want to see what you're working on and it motivates them and it's inspirational and you're helping them. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And one of the other things he said in a thread there is that giving away your work for free, which you said you did in the beginning too. You were just kind of helping people out, doing it for free. He said, giving away your work for free is like compressing a spring so that when you do finally have something up for sale, it really just accelerates, you know, the the kind of springboard that ends up happening. It it sounds like that might've resonated with you as well. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I think so when I was doing work for free, again, I'm building those really solid relationships with those certain clients. And then it's not only that, it's like now you sort of have testimonials, people that have worked with you and they have good things to say about you for when you do actually launch a product that's going to um, something that you're going to be charging for. You have these testimonials from people who used it while it was just free. So this is why you should pay for this product that I've been working on for X amount of time with these clients. And this is what they have to say about it. You know, it's something that already works. I've already proven it. So this is why you should pay for it now. Hmm. And do you you think that using Twitter, you have built not just an audience, but have you built any actual friendships? Has that come from what you've done? Yeah. And it's so weird because there are some people I've met in person. It's just weird being people from online to like in person. Yeah. Um, but I've definitely built relationships and and partnerships and I've collabed with people and gained so much opportunity and I was, I'm able to give opportunity. So yeah, like I said, Twitter changes lives and it definitely changed mine. Mm. I mean, that's, that's incredible. I, I was on the internet, so I'm older than dirt, right? So I was on the internet but back before we had all these fancy social media platforms and everything. And it was really weird because you, you had nothing to go by in terms of the other people you're talking to. You didn't have like a picture or anything like that. So when you did meet in person, like it was super weird. You'd be like, oh, wait a minute. You're dog boy one, two, three, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It's really bizarre. I know. know? I know. I had dinner last night with someone from Twitter who... Mm. She lives in Boston, but we've never met before, but I knew uh-huh. her from Twitter. So we had dinner last night and it was, it's just always a, a strange moment. It's like, wow, you're like a real person, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, no, for sure. And I think it's also really interesting when people talk about what someone is like in real life versus what they're like online. And the people that I've had the most connection with are the people that, that are the same. You know what mm. I mean? Like, like they're not putting up a front, you know, right. whereas I've met other people that their persona online just does not match with the way they are in person. And I don't, I don't know how to take that. Right. I've, so I've actually, and this is kind of funny. I've met people in person who I disliked in person and then I learned about them online and I disliked <laughs> them online as well. So I was like, at least you kind of like, <laughs> at least you're consistent, you know, like, uh, that's too funny. That's awesome. So, I just, I'm like you're consistent, so I mean that that's good at least. But I thought we're, um, I thought you're going for a Hollywood ending there, and you're like, no. oh, I didn't like them in person, but I really <laughs> like them online. 
I found our online persona and it was much more manageable. (laughs) Nope. Nope. Yeah. I mean, there are people who have met me. They, they see me on Twitter or they'll, they'll see me on Facebook. And I, I don't, I guess on Twitter and Facebook, I come off as a very loud person. Like I'm loud. I'm not scared to say certain things. And then they meet me in person. I'm super shy. And I am, I'm, I'm very shy. But I'm still like, I still hold the same morals. I still believe and practice the same things. It's just when you meet me in person, I'm a little more quiet and distant and it takes longer for me to open up. And yeah, so. I think to some extent that's normal though, because I think when you're sitting down at a computer or a phone or whatever, and you're writing something, most of the time it's just you and your thoughts, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas where when you're with a group of other people, you are conscious that there are other people there. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. it, it, I think it's just, I think it's natural, like to some extent that that kind of happens to everybody. Yeah. But I, I'm just, I mean, I do think it's good that the person that you didn't like in person, you didn't like online. Because even though you didn't like them, at least they're genuine. You know what I mean? At least they I, are yeah. who they are. You know exactly. what I mean? Like you, yeah. this is this is literally who you are as a person. And even yeah. though I don't agree with it, it's fine. Yeah. You know, this is yeah. you. That's what it is. Well, at least they're internally consistent. <laughs> Just, exactly. although, although, I don't know. I, that might be going a little too far, Patrick, right? Like someone could be internally consistent and just be an absolutely horrible person, right? <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah. 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 No, I guess, I guess that's true. But for someone who is looking to, let's say I just started a business. Let's say I just started a, I I worked at a company for a little while and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to try this freelancer thing. What do you think people should do to get people involved in their business to try and seek opportunities of, uh, to partner with and in social media is something that we could use for that to start our fledgling business and to make connections? Yeah, because you find so many different communities on Twitter. So if you're trying to start some sort of freelance business. I think that's what you were saying. But you find freelancers, you, I mean, you find developers on Twitter, so you'll find freelancers on Twitter. You'll, you'll find out about websites that market freelancers. You just get so much exposure to things you didn't know existed by using social media because it's such, it's a, public so many public platforms so you're just Mm. getting exposure to the world you know it's just like when you watch the news you're only getting a piece of the story whereas when you go on social media you're getting perspectives from a bunch of different people who are at the same place but you're seeing different angles of it and so you're kind of getting a more wholesome story Mm. Um, and and that's the beauty of social media so utilize it as best as you can as frequently as you can I, I definitely think that that's true the one thing that worries me about it is back when people had kind of pie in the sky dreams of what the internet was going to be like you know it's going to be this way that ideas can be freely communicated between people and everyone's gonna hold hands and sing kumbaya and all that kind of stuff but that's bullshit. <laughs> I know I know that's I know but that was that was like the pie in the sky right mm-hmm. the what ended up happening is Instead of like a big united world, it's just like lots of islands and people tend to congregate together on the island with the people that I agree with. You know what I mean? And it's just, I don't know. I mean, that part of it, I I hope that people are getting perspectives from all over. And maybe, you know, you probably are getting more than if you just always flipped on a particular news uh, show at night. But I also worry about just reinforcing, let's say I have a, a particular view on whatever. I'm going to seek out people that agree with it. And those are the people I'm going to follow. And how do we stop it from being an echo chamber, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I think 
Well, I think with, first of all, for me, I don't think social media changed the way things are. I think it just Mm. brought it to light. I think things were always the way they are right now. It's just because social media brings more awareness. You're seeing more of the world that you weren't exposed to before. You're seeing the reality of things, but Mm -hmm. also the other, there's definitely pros and cons to the internet and social media. But I think the, the other beauty of it is that when you do get on social media and you're looking for people who do agree with you, you're also going to see people who don't and you're going to see their perspectives you're going to see why they're on the opposite end of you and if you're reading that sometimes that can change your mind you know Mm. i think it's better than not being on social media and then only finding people who agree with you in person that's who you're going to surround yourself by whereas on social media you're just getting exposed to literally everyone yeah and you're right like let's say you grew up in a small town or something and you're the only person there that likes origami right just i'm picking some random thing and you might get a little bit sad or frustrated because there's no one there to talk to about your your passionate hobby of origami and maybe it'll just fall by the wayside and you'll kind of give it up or you're or you'll think badly of yourself you think that you're weird or whatever right but then if you go online you're no longer restricted by geography and you find that as a whole there are enough people that are interested in that one little niche thing that you're interested in that you don't feel so weird anymore and you have people to talk to about this thing that really interests you right you can really like you can truly find your community um online that's that's what I love about the internet. It connects you with people all over. There are no limitations. There are no restrictions. Yeah, because when you're born, you have no control over what you are or where you were born. You just pop out, right? And you're like, hey, you know, I landed in Cambridge, Massachusetts or wherever it is, right? You have no control over that. So therefore, you also have no control over how many people that are in your immediate vicinity that like the same things you like. Are. Exactly. And the internet kind of destroys all those boundaries and lets you find those other people. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Well, what's next for you? Well, you, it soon, sounds like this uh, black tech pipeline. It sounds like you're you're working on building something with it. What are you planning to do with it? Yeah. So I'm still doing this recruitment piece. Actually, can I just kind of give you my little uh, speech that I give everyone? Hundred um, percent. Okay. Cool. So for the recruitment piece of black tech pipeline, so what I do is when a, an employer wants to work with me, I'll source out of my own talent database, and if they hire someone out of black tech pipeline, I virtually stay on the job with that candidate for the first ninety days. And so what that looks like is I do biweekly check-ins with that candidate to make sure they're having a good experience and they're happy and checking in if they need any tools or resources to help them do better in their role. And then whatever feedback they give me about their experience at that company, I relay that to the manager or someone in leadership. And so we kind of go through the pros and cons of the company, what they're doing well, where where they need to improve. We talk about their current systems and processes and break them down to see where we can become more inclusive, remove bias and make it more appealing to those who are from diverse backgrounds who are most likely the minority of the company because what they do is they build up these systems with only the majority in place. So we need to break that down and start over. Um, That's really interesting because most headhunters that I'm aware of, once they place someone, they don't care. Like they don't care what happens to them at all. Right. You know? That's exactly yeah. what it is. And I've, yeah. I mean, I've dealt with that myself and I've had horrible experiences and I didn't really have anyone to talk to about it. Well, that's um, built into the system, right? Because yeah. they get paid when someone is is hired. So what, so realistically, you know, they don't care. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so I don't want that to happen. I want to help. Yeah. I want companies to be actionable and not performative because diversifying is not enough. You need to actually do that inclusivity and equity piece. And that Mm -hmm. takes work. And you're not going to know how to do it if you haven't really experienced anything like it. So that's why I want to come in and sort of break down these systems, build them back up um, 
to be more inclusive of everyone at the work. And the more successful that you are, you have a vested interest in ensuring that this particular arrangement works out because then the company is going to be like, you know what? This actually really worked out. There was a way that we were able to change things or do this or that. And this really worked out. Like, again, what we were talking about before with social media, it doesn't matter how many followers you have. It matters your interaction from a, a, a hiring perspective. It doesn't really matter how many people you can bring in and hire. It matters how well they work out and how long they stay there. You know Exactly. The retention numbers. Yeah. They, they matter <laughs> a lot. No, uh, they do. Because I, I ran a company for a number of years and it's actually a lot of work to vet people and to hire them and onboard them and train them. The, there's not just the cost of the salary and, and the benefits. There's also the cost to onboarding and then the cost if you have to get rid of them. So, I mean, the more you can make sure that it succeeds, I could totally see how the company would be happier with you, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's what I'm... That's my focus is not just the recruitment, but the retention piece. That's what I really work hard on. Mm -hmm. There is just a big focus on DE&I because I recruit Black technologists. So we're usually always the minority of the workplace. So I want to make sure we're having good experiences. And then aside from that recruitment piece, I I have my new website that's going to be launching in a couple of weeks, but I have a job board too, which I'm really excited about because when you get onto the job board as a company, you also get a landing page that's customized by me and someone I'm working with internally at that company. And so your landing page, talks about what your company is building, the problems you're solving, your company values, how you practice diversity, equity, inclusion, and how you're going to be part of the change that the industry needs to see. And then it gets followed up with images and videos. If you have any, you get to really like show off your your company and what you're doing to make sure that you are being actionable. So, so you're really involved. You're not just yeah. a platform for feeding names into a company. Like you, you are really involved in what's going on here. Yeah, it's a really personable and personal process. And the website is blacktechpipeline.com. Is that where it's going to be launching? Yep. There's a, we have a current website right now, but it's a, a crappy little website. And so we're launching the new one in a couple of weeks. I was about to say, would you like to make an announcement <laughs> when this is going to launch? But I can't, even, I can't even pressure you with that. Yeah, I'm hoping it's going to be September 1st, but we don't know. Because I'm working on so many different company landing pages right now with my uh, clients. So we'll see. All right. So we got a delay on these podcasts. So we're just going to go with it. You're going to say right now, Paris, this brand new website has just launched. Go to it right now. Me? I'm going to say that right now? Yeah, do it. Do okay. it. We'll, we'll edit it depending on how the timing is. Yeah. We'll, no, we won't no, we won't. Well, no, you're not going to put it in there if it hasn't launched. <laughs> You don't know me very well, Patrick. You don't know me. (laughs) Okay. You want to record a clip where you say it in the slight past tense so that people can go and see the new thing if it has launched in time for the... No, my point is this episode won't be out for at least a month, right? So it's... I think you you can... It'll be launched by then. So let me put on, let me do my acting skills. So right, I'm going to do it right now. And okay. three, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to set you up. Three, two, one. Blacktechpipeline.com has just launched. So you can go there to find jobs, resources, and events happening within the tech community. Very cool. How did Hollywood not, I mean, come on, this is unbelievable. Yeah, they should have taken it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I may leave some of this, uh, some of the preamble in there if I think it's funny. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see how the editing goes. But that was really cool. Patrick, Patrick, you got anything that you want to ask Paris? No, I really appreciate your time and, and all you do. Thank you. This was fun. I had fun on this podcast. I had a great time, but that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. Make sure to subscribe. And if you enjoy the show, please write a review on iTunes. Tell a friend or retweet this episode. We really appreciate it. 
Patrick has still not made this shorter. No. We'd love to continue the conversation. Leave us a comment on devmode.fm or find us on Twitter at devmode.fm. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. And I'm Patrick Harrington. And thank you, Paris Athena, for coming on. Thank you. Oh, my God. I lost my window. Hold on. All right. Here it is. talk we had on air before before we were on air is maybe i think i'm gonna go get a paella go do it we actually just got chinese food so i'm gonna eat again (laughs) and you know it's really funny like there are restaurants that will sell like a a 30 or 40 dollar paella like it's like it's this fancy exotic thing and my brother is just like man that's just so dumb like paella is just when you got all this crap left over you just throw it all in with some rice and cook it it's like a it's like the ultimate you know kind of uh rustic meal you know Yeah, I know. (laughs) All right. I am stopping the backup recording.